Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Good morning, Rest Church. How are you? Um, little behind the scenes uh, thing today. I don't know if you noticed, but the, the worship set was cut short by one song. I apologize. And, and thankfully to them, we may have a little time because apparently I'm going to go long today. Everyone thinks that's terrible, but I feel like I should get a trophy based on my history. Um, so I got to get this thing just right and I have to grab it from down here. So uh, anyway, Thank you guys for being here, um, and for all of you that, that volunteer here, like it was, it really came to my mind today, like thank you, because this couldn't happen without you, so thank you. Uh, and then also, like to the fathers, like to those that have raised us, loved us, poured their lives into us, mentored us, or have just been that father figure to us, thank you. Um, even in your imperfection, it is something that God can take and use to mold us into the people that he wants us to be, so thank you. So, um, moving into this, uh, there was a book that I was reading uh, that had this story. It was, and it started off like this. It's like, I love being a pastor, but, um, and it's funny because like the story that he told is one that I can relate to uh, because like I have a job just like everybody else does and, and you work and all and, and certain people carry themselves and conduct themselves a little bit differently, um, but and it, they may not have noticed, uh, like in, in my case anyway, that I was just a little bit different. Um, and so they're sitting there talking and they're using, you know, like, like colorful language. Uh, and then you have like the ever like nails on a chalkboard, Jesus Christ, you know, used as a profanity, uh, like to which I usually follow up is Lord, you know, so, there's like, so they don't get into holy trouble. And it's super corny, but I guess being a dad, I can do that, right? And this guy probably knows the environment that, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? That's right. So, but anyway, and so the conversation starts, and whether it's with a customer or an employee, um, I, I don't just like throw out the pastor card. Like, I, I try to keep that one back here to be as real as I can. But when they find out that I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, like, dude, like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, yeah, that stuff, I mean, it, I, mean I used to be that person. And then when I stopped being that person, like, it became cringy to me. You know what I'm talking about? But then, but then I, came, I come over here, and I get to that place where, like, like, please, like, be all means. Like, be yourself around me. Like, don't act differently, like, around me, because, like, I am not going to judge you. Like, I am not. Like, it's just, it's not in me anymore. 
But know this, that there is one that will. There is one that will judge. And it's not me. And so, like, with the text that we're going to be looking at today, like, with that mindset, like, that's what Paul is getting at. He's like, listen, like, there is a judge that is coming. Like, there is a price that is due. And so, what we're going to be talking about today is just that. And, And Cody, I'm sure you're watching online. I can't tell you how uncomfortable I am with my notes over here. Uh, Adam knows. So I'm going to go back here to my uh, safety blanket. Like I am terrified of getting off track or just missing something. So moving right along. So before we get into today's sections of Romans, section of Romans, like you have got to remember this. You won't be able to fully understand, excuse me, the grace of God before you understand the wrath of God and the guilty charge placed on you. So as we progress through Romans, like through all of these buckets, you know, uh, in the beginning you have the introduction of Paul, which moves into the section that we are now, which is the wrath of God, the saints and the ain'ts. uh, And we find that we all deserve God's righteous wrath, and you are either a saint or you ain't. And then we'll move into the grace of God from despair to hope, from sin to salvation which I can't wait till we get to that part because like all, it just, it seems very negative, but, it, but it's for a reason. <clears throat> so when opening Romans chapter three, like there are three main questions that Paul asks. And the question one was this, is like what advantage does the Jew have? They were entrusted, this is the answer, with the promises of God. Question two, does Jewish unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? The answer is this, of course not. Like God's word has not failed, nor will it. Question three, are we doing God a favor by sinning? Absolutely not. We're crazy to even think that way. And this actually comes up a little later uh, in Romans. So after answering this question, Paul concludes this section, uh, Romans 118 uh, through 320, proclaiming this. The whole world is under the judgment of God, both Jews and Gentiles. Now, like to you and me, that really doesn't like mean a lot, but that was huge, huge, huge in his day. And uh, unfortunately, we, we fall under this as well. So, so in this section that we're going to be looking at today, actually through 20, which Adam is going to hit the last two verses uh, next week, but what Paul does, he's is Paul is a very intelligent man. Uh, he's very skilled at what he does. And so you kind of see his lawyer skills at work here. So what he is trying to do is he's trying to bring this verdict of guilty on all of humanity. As a theological, prophetic lawyer, he is remarkably convincing. So he's not some shady, like home-taught lawyer. He is a theologically precise lawyer with a big heart for people. His goal Hear me, his goal is for people to see their sin so they're able to see their need for Jesus. So, in in, uh, Romans 3, verse 9, Paul brings this accusation. We'll be talking about that today. In 10 through 18, he presents the evidence, and we'll also be talking about that today. And then in verse 19 and 20, he brings the verdict, which... Uh, A.B. has next week. So we have the accusation and we have the evidence. 
And then finally, next week, we'll hear the, ver- the verdict that's being brought against us. And why do I say finally? Because on the tail end of that, we finally get to start talking about the good news. Unfortunately, not today. Again, why? Because we must hear the bad to understand it first. We've got to hear it to God. We've got to understand it. So let's read uh, 9 through 18 together from Romans chapter 3. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lisp, their lisp, their lips. <laughs> the figures. <laughs> their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Man, this is harsh but it is necessary. Why? You have got to understand your position of total depravity. You've got to understand it. I mean, and you following up to that is you have really, you really have to understand, like truly understand that you are desperate for a savior. Desperate. And if you can't fully grasp your need, and if you don't fully understand your despair, why would you ever consider a savior? Can you see it? Can you see why Paul is talking so harshly? It's not to beat you down, but it's like, dude, you've got to see this. Like, just because you've been given the oracles of God, like, you have a major problem. You are desperate for the need of a savior. Uh, this week, this, I, I get the Caleb emails every day, and this verse popped up, like, thinking about, like, this, the darkness of blackness that we're talking about. Like, this pops up. It's, it's Psalms 103.8 from the New Living Translation. So, like, amidst all that negativity and, and all that, that speaking of death and uh, um, just, like, the evil that comes from us, there's this verse, and it says this, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to get angry, and he is filled with unfailing love. So amidst our time, like spent in the sewers of reality, there's hope. So I say again, Paul is theologically a precise lawyer with a big heart for people, and he skillfully presents the evidence against us, against all mankind. And remember that he is presenting the evidence of the accused as a lawyer would before a righteous judge. You and I must see this to understand the why behind our desperation, behind our desperate need. So let's get through these these next two weeks so we can hear and truly understand the good news. Which brings us to the main idea for today. Objection, your honor. The evidence is stacked against you and it doesn't look good. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity uh, to stand here. I want to thank you for your word and and the truth that it is. 
Lord, it is uh, sweet to the mouth. But sometimes when it hits that stomach, man, it turns bitter. Uh, And all of this, all of this is for our good. And all of this is your radical grace. And I thank you for it. Um, God, I pray that you show up today. I pray that the words that are spoken would not be mine, but they would be yours. I thank you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I touch my mouth a lot. I should, I'm going to try to stop doing that. I'm sorry. Uh, there's things up here that I try to hide, uh, like that's going on the inside, like there's a spiritual battle. And when I'm in it on the inside in a spiritual battle, I get sweaty. Um, if you see me sweating, like, I'm sorry. I don't know why I try to hide it, because it's just, I, I've got no way to. So anyway, I just show my flaws. But Anyway, okay, so as we get into today's message, there are two key points. One of those is the accusation, and then the other is the evidence. Um, And I really like the outline format today, but Paul is going to make the accusation in verse 9, and then he's going to present the evidence in verses 10 through 18. So let's begin. This is the first key point, the accusation. And this accusation is directed at both the Jews and the Gentiles, So from the the English Standard Version, it says this, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, us, are under sin. And then the message says it this way, and I really like it, the, the way it puts this. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. So, so here, Paul, Paul is saying, like, yes, the Jews do have an advantage. Why? Because they've been entrusted with the oracles of God. They have been given the promises of God. They have been giving the scriptures from God. Now, which they choose to sit on instead of sharing, but they had an advantage. But just because they received these things, like, they're no better off than anybody else, right? Why? Well, because who is the answer? Jesus, regardless. So, question is, are they any better off than Gentiles spiritually? Nope. Are they privileged? Oh, yeah. Are they without accountability before God because he chose them? No. Again. So Paul adds in this verse, like, uh, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So it turns out that their advantages are not advantageous at all. And when it comes to judgment, we, both the Jews and the Gentiles, are all in the same boat. So the the takeaway from the accusation is this, all are under sin. So I I want you to consider something, uh, because the the term the chosen people, like, it it rings out a lot. Um, It's like, you know, like, why do we as outsiders, like, even try? Uh, Which that's not like a huge debate these days, but in in some areas it would be. But, But why do we even try? And so what I want you to do is I want you to consider a man named Abraham, Abraham was visited in person by Jesus, right? Abraham had a wife that was unable to have children, yet Jesus made it possible for her to bear a son. Abraham received the original promise of the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, 
that, that he would make him a father of many nations, right? He received this promise. But do you realize this? Like, Abraham was not accounted as being righteous until what? Until he believed. He had the same conditions that have to be met that we do, regardless of all of this interaction with Jesus. Um, it was not accounted to him as righteousness until he believed. So, so now we move to the evidence. We're getting out of this accusation and getting into the evidence, and we're going to spend almost all of our time here, duh. Um, but this evidence, remember, is presented against both the Jews and to the Greek and to the Gentiles. So, so, so what Paul does, and again, he is a very skillful liar, like this dude knows the word inside and out. Now, mind you, it's just Old Testament writings at that time, obviously, because they were living in the New Testament days. But, but Paul intentionally does something in these passages. So what he does is he pulls all of this stuff from all over the book of Psalms, written by no less than one of their, like, patriarch heroes, David, Right? And the reason that he does this is because, like, he is a key player, and, and what the religious leaders would do a lot is they would quote, like, dudes, like dudes from long ago, like, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that. And so, like, what Paul does when he presents this case is he takes, he takes, like, the original king, not Saul, but the original king David, um, the guy that was promised to have a son that would sit on an eternal throne, the guy that God chose to do so much through. So, let's look at these verses and break them down. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these, and I'm also going to tell you, like, like, where Paul is pulling this information from. So again, like, this is New Testament day, Old, te- Old Testament days are done, like everything has been written, and, and the Old Testament canon is closed, okay? And so Romans 3, 10 through 18, uh, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That's Psalm 53 by David, also Ecclesiastes 7 by Solomon, David's son. Uh, verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks God. Again, Psalm 53, David all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Psalm 5, David. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Psalm 53, Psalm 140. Again, David. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Psalm 10, David. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Proverbs 1, Solomon. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 36, David. Paul didn't just put these verses together to throw in their face. He used the writings of the Old Testament, somebody that the religious leaders would have looked up to, to present that case. So... To help us understand, like, the sinfulness of sin, like, this section can be categorized into this list. Our legal standing, no one is righteous. Two, our minds, no one understands. 
Three, our motives. No one seeks God. Four, our walls, wills, excuse me, all have turned away. Five, our tongues, our throat is an open grave. Six, our relationships. We are swift to shed blood and we are quick to anger. And then finally, seven, our relationship to God. No fear of God before our eyes. So, like, as we go through this, what we're going to do is we're going to simplify this just a little, a little smaller into three categories. And then, so, like, if you're taking notes, like, this is the way it's going to go today. There's three characters. One, it's the character of the accused. The second topic is the conversation of the accused. And the third is the conduct of the accused. And so this, this is how all of this evidence is going to be presented by Paul. So you must remember, like as, you, as we go through this, that Paul is acting as a skillful lawyer, presenting the case against, not just to his audience then, but he's presenting this case against his, the audience of us in the here and the now. And this is not for the sole purpose of beating you down, but it is for, to show you God's unparalleled grace, ripping off the band-aid, the band-aid revealing a life-threatening condition that you and that I have, exposing your need for a graceful, merciful, loving, kind, and forgiving Savior. So do this with me. Like, like in your mind, like I, I, I want to create a visual for you so you can really understand, <clears throat> excuse me, like, like how this is going to be presented. So like, picture yourself in a courtroom and you're sitting at the defense table by yourself. And to your right, you have Paul that like, like this guy has his act together and he's got his table as well and he is by himself. And on this table stacked a foot and a half deep is nothing but documents all over. There's nothing falling over the edges. Like it is in completely in perfect order. It is neatly numbered and it's stacked with the utmost determination to present the truth. Nothing embellished, just straight ugly truth and the evidence of it, Paul begins to present the evidence of your transgression. So you've got yourself over here at the defense table. You have Paul sitting here getting ready to make the accusation and present the evidence against you. And then right up in front, you have the judge, Jesus, sitting. So Jesus has his eyes locked with Paul as he presents this case against you. The evidence systematically laid out, and you have to sit there and you have to listen. And after Paul presents that evidence to Jesus, he slowly turns your way and he makes contact with you. And he says, This, what do you have to say for yourself? So keep that mindset during today's message. And again, if you're taking notes, like this is the outline that we're going to use it's the character of the accused the conversation of the accused, and the conduct of the accused. Lord, open our eyes to see. Open my eyes to see. So let's begin with the evidence. One, the character of the accused. There's five charges here. And the first is this, it's unrighteous character. From Romans 3.10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. 
The cues are noted first as being unrighteous. To be unrighteous is to not be right with God. You know, apart from Jesus, there is nothing in you that is right with him. Nothing. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing good that you've ever done. There's nothing good that you ever will do that will earn you a rightful place before him. Nothing. Additionally, Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So again, that's why I said apart from Jesus, without faith, apart from Jesus, it is impossible to please him. And I can tell you, like I have met genuinely good people. I mean, people that care about the people that are in their circle, people that are genuinely concerned about the community and have helped the community apart from Christ. And I'm telling you, without faith, it is impossible to please him. We are unrighteous. Jesus now looks from Paul and he looks at us. What do you have to say for yourself? Objection, your honor. Um, We are unrighteous. We move to ignorant character. 11a, no one understands. It is God the Holy Spirit who graciously opens our spiritual eyes to understand. The unrepentant people can be highly intelligent, but that's different from having the knowledge of God. While it is impossible to please God without faith, it is impossible to know God or the things of God unless he himself reveals it to us. Chapter and verse, Matthew, and I'm going to go through this quickly, 16, 13 through 17. This is when Jesus was alive with his disciples. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do, you, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then he said to him, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, just as I can't reveal anything to you, nor any of the pastors or anyone here and anyone else here, but my Father who is in heaven. So we are ignorant. Why? Because it is impossible for us to understand apart from him. Additionally, Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the rhema. It's it's Jesus revealing his truth to you. It's impossible. So not only do we not understand, like, like, let's be honest, like, do we even try? Worse yet, do we even care? We are ignorant. Objection, your honor. Objection. Our character is godless. 11b, no one seeks God. So in our humanity, and like we could spend like all day here, um, but all humanity rebels against God. You are by nature a child of wrath. It is in your DNA as a descendant of Adam to rebel. You can't even help it. It is natural to you. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, real quick. Uh, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Here it is, following the curse of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit, small s, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions 
of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Like it was in our nature. We couldn't help it. It's in who we were. Godless character. Objection, Your Honor. We are godless. Next, our character is wayward. And I'm sorry for the negativity. And 12a says, all have turned aside. (laughs) So if a person is spiritually ignorant and does not seek God, then he will naturally go his own way. That was one thing that Fleetwood Mac got right, right? One thing. Man, I'm really showing my age up here with like this, these musical references up here. I'm sorry. There's just something about some old music. You know what I'm saying? I think it was the drugs. <laughs> I got a first shirt over here. Um, man, I am sorry. I apologize. That's on me. <laughs> there it goes. Not, not yet. It just feels like it. <laughs> um, Thank you, Stevie Nicks. Uh, So in our sinfulness and selfishness, we always, always, always choose the wrong way. Always. Why? Because it's it's in our DNA. It's who we are. Again, like apart from Christ, apart from Christ, it is who we are. It's in the nature that we receive from Adam. So hear me, church. Like, listen, like in our own sinfulness and selfishness, we always choose the wrong way. So, like, somebody tell me, I know somebody could do this, like, who in here has dogs? Who in here gives their dogs baths? Okay, perfect. So this question is for you. If you give that dog a bath and you open a door so he can go outside, what is the very first thing that it does? <laughs> Why? Because it's, it's, it's in their nature. It's in their DNA. Okay, let's talk about that same domit. The same domit. There's two words combined. I like to do that. Um, let's, let's talk about that same dog. What does that dog do when it throws up? Huh? It eats it. Why? Because it is in its nature. So we always, always, always choose the wrong way. I mean, we're idiots. I'm sorry, we're wayward. That's, that's a lot nicer. We're wayward. Objection, your honor. Like, I didn't know any better. Like, oh, okay, never. He didn't know any better. That's okay. Just kidding. It's not. <laughs> um, our character is worthless. 12b. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This means that, again, apart from Jesus, we cannot bear fruit. Jesus is the vine, and we're the branches. If we abide in him, he will abide in us, and we will bear much fruit, understanding that it's Jesus through us bearing that fruit. But at the final judgment, all, everything that is done apart from him, apart from Jesus, will be seen for what it is. Wood, hay, stubble. Remember, like without faith, it's impossible to please him. So all of this good that we do for the community and we do for others, like apart from him, it's meaningless. In the grand scheme of things, remember this. Remember this. Remember that we must abide in him if we expect any fruit 
Um, I, had, I had a good friend that used to say this all the time, like Jesus did not save you to work for him. He saved you to enjoy him. And that natural byproduct, as you are abiding in him, you won't be able to help but to bear fruit. But apart from him, the character of a man is worthless. You're worthless. And again, Jesus stops looking at Paul and he turns to you. He says, you're worthless. And you have nothing other to say, well, objection, your honor. The last comment that Paul makes summarizes the character of sinful humanity. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. And so Jesus told the rich young ruler the same thing. Sure, by God's common grace, like unbelievers may contribute to society and create some amazing things, but when it comes to standing before him, no one measures up, not one. No one is good, no one is so good that they do not need the saving grace of Jesus. So remember this list and notice the universality of sin and note how often Paul uses all and no one. The entire human race needs God's divine grace. You know, and, and so, you know, as I, as I wrote that, I was like, oh my gosh, like, um, which I already knew this, but I kind of plugged this in and we're going to read through it like super quickly. Um, but Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, like the Beatitudes, like he, he said all of, the, all of that for one statement that he follows up with that a lot of times like you're not going to hear after uh, you hear the reading of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to do that real quickly. It's from Matthew 5, that's 1 through 20. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, now, again, it's not just the disciples. I mean, like, the crowds are listening to this. Like, these, peoples, these people that have been inundated with um, flawed religion, I think it's fair to say. So he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil against you, you falsely, against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And he continues, you are the salt of the earth, but if a salt has lost its taste, how uh, shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, as it gives its light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And he's setting himself up here. So, so he has just laid out like all of these things that our character should embody, right? Like, like 
Those things that he just read should be us all the time. Like regardless where our emotions are, this should define us. And then he continues, do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Remember that. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, because of what I just told you, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, again, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, and this is what you need to see right here. So he just laid out what your character should be. He just laid out what should define you, not all of the time, not when you're at church, not when you're at work, at school, or whatever, all the time. From sunup to sundown, this should define you. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. None is righteous, no, not one. So, what Jesus means in this last statement is this. Your personal righteousness must be better than that of church leadership. Not just what they preach, not just what they practice, but both. Your righteousness must be better. If you plan on doing this thing on your own, your righteousness must be better than that that you hear from this pulpit, regardless of how we act. So what is Jesus saying here? He's like, listen, like these are the things that you must be defined by. And apart from me, you can do nothing. But, 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 in me, Jesus is saying, like, in me, you will be seen as having done everything. In me, when you are nothing, oh, excuse me, like before when you are nothing, in me, you will be everything. Jesus says, it is impossible for you to do on your own. Again, he said, like, don't think that I became, that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. Why? Because you can't. It is impossible for you to do it on your own. That is why I am here. This is why I came to live the life that you couldn't live and to die the death that you are destined to die. I did it for you. So, um, he says this, like, in, in Romans 10, just real quick, like, while you were my enemy, like, like, dude, like, not when you were my cuz or my brother, but, like, while you were my enemy, I did this for you. I came here when you hated me to live the life that you couldn't live, to die the, the death that you were destined to die, so that in me, you would avoid all of that. So that in me, you would be the righteousness of myself. Because you can't do it. So, based on your character, you stand accused. Objection, your honor. 
Now we move to the second topic of the evidence. This is terrible. I'm sorry, but this is all of us. So Paul now, uh, he shifts to talk about like how our sin is expressed through our speech. Like he's done with a character, like, like we're terrible, like guilty already, right? But then now he changes to our speech in verses 13 and 14. So like our words reveal the condition of our hearts. Like over and over again, the Bible talks about the destructive nature of the tongue. Like I can't Say it often enough, like, like the words that come out of your mouth can either build up or it can destroy. And I just have a few here. Um, Proverbs 18, 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Pro- Proverbs 18, 21, death, hear me, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Matthew 12, 34, the ESV, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like what is on the inside is going to come out. Why? It's in your DNA. You won't be able to help it. Your tongue reveals who you are. Man, that was like an intense pointing at my mouth. (laughs) How dare me? But this, like, this is the message uh, version of Matthew 12, 34. Like, if Eric was here, he would say dig. And I'd literally put, like, oh, I didn't put it there. I put it somewhere else. Not dig. Um, so Matthew 12, 34 from the message. You have minds like a snake pit. How do you suppose that what you say is worth anything when you are so foul-minded? It's your heart not the dictionary that gives meaning to your words. Ouch. It is your heart, not the dictionary that gives meaning to your words. So let's move into the uh, first accusation. Their throats are open graves. Like, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, I don't get it. Like, a throat is an open grave, uh, and it's actually quite simple. So, and... and, and all of humanity, like all of us, like we're, we're all guilty of this. Like, and we are full of not just corruption, but infection. That sounds disgusting when you really think about it. So, so, so what do we do like, like when a person dies? Like we, we cover those graves, right, out of respect. But we're also doing something else. Like we're, we're also covering, we are hiding that decay and corruption, so Paul says that we all, in our sinful state, when we open our mouths, like we testify to spiritual death um, every time we open our mouth, like when, it is, when we speak, it is clear that we are spiritually dead. You know, and it made me think of this. Um, you know, there's a passage in Romans 8. It's like, like his spirit will, be, will bear witness with my spirit that we're children of God. Like, like if I am truly like um, a son of God, if I am truly a brother of Christ, like he, his spirit is going to let my spirit know, like without a doubt, I belong to him, right? Well, on that same token, like have you guys ever just been around somebody and like they, they not even speak to you, but it's like the spirit that is in you, like 
can tell that the spirit that in that person, that that person truly is a brother of the faith. You, you know what I'm talking about? Well, so um, in, in the same way, but opposite. Man, when someone speaks, like, dude, you know. Like, your mouth is an open grave. I can see the death, and I can see the decay, like, coming from your soul, man. Um, so their throats are open graves. Next, uh, 13b, they use their tongues to deceive. Lying and other forms of deceit are a regular practice of the unrepentant. Sinful hearts gravitate to it. They can't help it. To lying. Lying and deceit have killed millions and damaged countless reputations. It's as if we can't help it but to lie. Hey, did you do that? <laughs> nope. Uh, if we're being honest, like, uh, hey, did you, uh, did you forget to do whatever? I can't do it. wasn't me. It was John. It's just natural. You can't help but to lie. Why? Because Satan is a liar. Satan is the father of lies. And unfortunately, until we meet Christ, he's our daddy. Happy Father's Day. Sorry. Uh, next, 13C. The venom of asps is under their lips. Both Jesus and John the Baptist called the religious leaders vipers. Next, their mouths are filled with cursing and bitterness. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's terrible. But think about that. Like, um, do you ever lash out with hostility towards your enemy? I mean, somebody like wrongs you. Like, what's the first thing your mouth does? Ah, open grave. Ah. I'm glad he doesn't say anything about breath. Okay. So, based on your conversation, the stuff that comes out of your mouth, you stand accused. Objection, Your Honor. Objection. Finally, the third topic of the evidence. It's the conduct. The third category involves our feet, like, or our, our way of life. And Paul says this of sinful humanity in Romans 3.15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. The violence in a man's heart is expressed through violent and murderous actions. Like, think about it. Like, we as mankind didn't make it out of the first generation until somebody killed somebody. <laughs> we, did, we couldn't even do it. Like, so... Like, without the consequences for murder, there would be more. Like, case in point, uh, you decrease a police presence, crime increases. Um, with the lack of punishment for crime, what would happen? Or what, or should I say, what happened? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Romans 13, 3, 16 through 17. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. So sin always, this one hits home, sin always leaves a trail of pain, despair, and heartache. If uh, it leaves you in ruin and in wretchedness, it causes mithers, uh, misery for others, never sin alone. It leads to restlessness instead of peace. Only in Jesus can a righteous, peaceful life be found. This is interesting. The world sells sin as if it's something that's fun, 
Yet for every sinful action, there is a painful reaction. Your momentary pleasure is going to come at your own expense or someone you love. Better yet, your momentary pleasure will come at the expense of someone who loves you. In their past are ruin and misery, the way of peace they have not known. I mean, I know this sucks, but this is in our DNA. Prior to Christ, it is who we are. We're by nature a child of wrath. So I say it again. Your momentary pleasure will come at your own expense and the expense of someone that loves you. I started writing down a bunch of examples. Like, do I even need to here? I mean, really? I mean, do I? I mean, dude, like, if this is you, you know. Like, if this is, like, trust me, I do. Like, there's a balance to everything. There is a reaction to every action. Like, shame on us. Shame on me. I'm doing good on time, I think. Oh, yeah. I'm going to do this. Lastly, Paul finishes the list of evidence with verse 18. Says this, there is no fear of God in their eyes. Sinful man does not tremble in God's presence. They just don't. Their absence of fear, their absence of the fear of the Lord leads them to sin and it leads them to rebellion. So like, like as you and I like digest like what Paul has said here, like the evidence is incredibly overwhelming. So no one, no one has perfected righteousness outside of Jesus. No matter how moral, religious, or good we think that we are, none are found innocent in the eyes of the Lord. So a friend of mine, like he used to say this, like you could have somebody from like day one, man, like this person was like, God's teacher's pet. Like he did everything right. I mean, he slipped up just that, that one little time that didn't affect anybody like at all. Just that one little time. But he was still apart from Christ. And when he stood before him on that day, like his test had a 99.9% with a huge old smiley face. He failed. Because apart from Christ, like it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. So, this black backdrop of sin is so important because what Paul is doing, he is trying to show us the beautiful diamond of the gospel. And what better way for light to shine but in the darkness? So, against this black backdrop, we behold and we wonder of what God has done for sinful men, what God has done for you and me. Okay, so I borrowed this story. This is guy, uh, Tony Morita. He tells this story. He says, uh, he says this. There it is. I heard a story of a man carrying a leather case. The case looked like the camera case, only contained a Bible. Some kids, thinking who was holding the camera, came up and asked him to take a picture of them. So he pulled out his Bible and he read Romans 3, like what we just wrote. 
He said, this is your picture of your spiritual condition. I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm like, man, look at this, <laughs> this, this religious church guy. I mean, this guy's crazy. But I mean, like, man, the guts that that guy had to do something like that. I mean, to call somebody out, like, point blank, man. I mean, maybe that's not me, but kudos to this guy. But can you imagine if that guy's words had the opportunity to take root in someone's soul? Man, can you imagine if what we're talking about today, as I'm painting your picture, like a mirror image of you so that you can see who you truly are, can you imagine the despair that that creates if it takes root in your soul? So Romans 3 says this, regardless if you are a Jew entrusted with the oracles of God or if you are a Gentile that has not, regardless if you're smart, regardless if you're gifted, regardless if you're pretty, you're all marked by sin, all of you. And we all need the saving grace that is found in Jesus alone. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is, like, apart from me, like, there's, there's, there's no way. I mean, I'm sorry. That, that's not what I want. That's what some of you may choose, but that's not what I want. So, based on your conduct, you stand accused. Objection, Your Honor. Objection. So now that Paul has presented the evidence in the case against us to the righteous judge sitting in the center of the courtroom, our eternity is in his hands. Like he is holding our eternity. The evidence is stacked against you and it does not look good. It has all been laid out before the righteous judge and it is damning. Based on your character, the things about you, the things that define you, based on your conversation, like the things that come out of your mouth, based on your conduct, the things that you do, the way that you act, and the way that you react. The evidence against you is stacking up, and there is nothing about you apart from Jesus that is worthy to save you before the judge and king. Nothing. There's nothing about you apart from Jesus that is worthy to save you. So this evidence that Paul has laid out is not just for those that don't darken the doorway of a church. It is not just for those that don't live or even attempt to live any kind of life that might be considered righteous. It is also for those of us that attend church every time the doors are open, but have yet to really encounter Jesus. It is also for those of us that may lead uh, in some capacity without, inside these walls, but have yet to really encounter Jesus. It is for those of us that have mouthed the words at children's church, at vacation Bible school, or Awana, or somewhere else. We have, we've mouthed these words that someone else told us to say, but we have yet to really encounter Jesus. This evidence that laid out is for everyone. Hear me, everyone. 
that is yet to encounter Jesus. And this evidence has been presented before the judge and it does not look good for you. Well, you as a non-believer or a believer that doesn't quite understand the purpose of God's wrath in the law, you have got to know this. Like, these things were meant to break you. Not to a place of demise and despair, but to a place of reality. A place where you realize your desperate need for a savior. So all of this, what seems to be a barrage of negativity is actually radical grace. I'm going to say that again. All of this, what seems, what we've been talking about, what seems to be a barrage of negativity is actual, actually radical grace. It's radical grace at work to bring you to a place of brokenness on your way to the Savior. With the evidence stacked against you, And when it comes to you having an unrighteous standing before God, know this. Know this. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. For if while we were enemies... As Jesus said, in this, like following the Sermon on the Mount, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees, of your pastors. Not what they practice, but what they preach. If it doesn't, like you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Never. They couldn't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. We stand accused. There is no one that will stand with you in that courtroom as the evidence against you is revealed. It will be you, only you, standing alone. You've got this skilled lawyer presenting the case against you. You've got a righteous judge that is digesting all this evidence and he's looking at you and and you don't know what to say. There is one. There is one that is the only hope. There is one that has paid the price There's one that had you in mind while he was suffering on that cross. There's one that pursues you with a reckless love. There is one that will stand next to you before your verdict and judgment are read by the righteous judge himself. I hear the accusations brought against you and brought against me, and I know the issue, and I know the answer. As a Christian, as a Christian in Christ, we have been made righteous and we are being sanctified, Hebrews 10, 14. We still battle the old man in this flesh that houses sin, Romans 7. We must guard, we must watch our tongues at all times. This is a spiritual battle and believe me guys, there's gonna be times when we fail and that's okay. But we need an advocate. We need someone to fight for us. 
We need someone to save us because the verdict is coming. The evidence has been presented. The verdict is coming. So I mentioned it earlier, but like in this time, as we spend uh, in the sewers of reality, there's hope. There's hope. Like surrender to Jesus, bro. If you have never had a real encounter with him and you know who you are, if you have never had a real encounter with Jesus, like I beg you today, not for my glory, not for any glory of this church, but for you and for God, like respond today. And for you fathers in here that haven't had that true encounter with Jesus, like what better day as the leader of your family, the leader of your home, to respond to the Father. What better day? The evidence against you is damning. Like you are at the end. The verdict is coming. But it's like time slows down. And you have like a moment's decision to reach out to that Savior. You know, none of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised lunch. When we get home, if we make it home, man, if this is you today, like this message was for you. Man, I mean, the evidence is clear. Respond. Respond today. Uh, what I'm going to do um, is I'm, if that person is you, you don't have to raise your hand if it's uncomfortable. Uh, I'd love to talk to you or somebody would. But if that's you, like, I am going to, like, say those words that you would need to say. But, like, please don't say them just for the sake of saying them, like, truly believe that you are ready to have that encounter with Jesus um, as we say it. And then after I'm done, like if the worship team will come up and then we'll um, lead and we'll have a song or two um, and it's time. But the ball's in your court right now, dads and everyone else. Like the evidence is out. Like let's do something about it. In Jesus' name. Uh, okay, so... Again, if this is you and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you only think that you have given him lip service, like, like in your soul, like pray this with me, okay? Father, I hear the words that are being spoken today and I recognize that I have a sin problem. Not just the things that I've done, but in the, in the things that define me. Jesus, I believe in you. Please save me. Jesus, I believe in you. Please forgive me. Jesus, I believe in you. Amen. You know, we as uh, Christians have really made Christianity very difficult when it doesn't need to be. Christ is actually very simple. Salvation is very simple. 
Man, just believe in him. If you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like you will be saved. That guy that is guilty of everything that Paul just brought before us will be saved just like Abraham through believing. Decisions is yours. Like the ball is in your court. Um, I'll be around. I'll be somewhere. Like if you want to talk to me, you want to talk to Adam, like just if you've got spiritual business that needs to happen, like take care of it today. In Jesus' name.